Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridgeline from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Except for today, that's not exactly the case. I'm actually coming to you today from the Spirico Homestead. That's right. I have sitting here waiting to get on the line with me, Patrick and Emily Rorman. Uh, Patrick, of course, is the guy that built my Mammoth Tusk neck knife. And uh, Emily is a, uh, a soap maker that makes some really awesome soaps. We're going to have them on and talk about that and a bunch of other cool stuff in just a minute. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ready Made Resources. Ready Made Resources is the kind of company you want to do business with. Why? Because their name says what they are, says what they do, and then they do what they say. That means that you can find all the resources you need for your prepping ready-made, ready to go at their website, point-click, buy, sent to your house, great pricing, great service, so check out ready-made resources today. They've been with us a very long time, since almost the very beginning. I think they were the second company to sponsor the show. That says something about their loyalty, so you know, occasionally when you need something, make sure you're checking with our sponsors before you go out into that mass market. Remember, all the sponsors here are personal endorsements by me. If I wouldn't do business with them personally, and if they don't pass the uh, muster with the Listener Ad Council, they do not get on the show. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. You know, I talk to you guys a lot about silver and gold, but there's another precious metal out there, copper, jacketed, lead. Your gun without ammunition is absolutely nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing but an overpriced club, if that. You've got to have ammo to make that weapon run. You've got to have enough ammo to train with it, to practice with it, and become proficient with it. Because even loaded, if you don't know what you're doing, it's nowhere near as valuable as some people think it is in your head. That's why it's a great idea to get firearms training. But if you're going to train, practice, and drill, you need ammo, and you need more than one box of it. You need bulk ammo, and you will find it in all the common carolibers with great pricing and lightning-fast shipping at BulkAmmo.com. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and TSP, the Survival Podcast, is now available on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. You'll find that at PrepperPodcast.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. And remember, if you are military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, whether active duty or prior service, Email me some details of your service. I will send you a special discount code to thank you for your service to our country. And with that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we're fortunate to have with us today Patrick and Emily Rorman. And uh, this is kind of a first. We are not even at the office. We're not at TSPN. Uh, we are at the Spirgo Homestead. And uh, Patrick and Emily drove down with, uh, with six kiddos with them. And uh, they made a convoy today in their big van. And they're here today to talk to us about soap making, uh, working from home, and a little bit about uh, knife craft. Because Patrick is uh, the uh, the guy that made the uh, mammoth tooth knife, uh, the mammoth mammoth tusk knife that's hanging around my neck. Hey, Patrick, Emily, welcome to the Survival Podcast, and hey, welcome to my home. Hello. Hey, Jack. Nice to be here, and I appreciate you uh, welcoming us welcoming us into your home. And it's uh, nice to be here today. Well, glad to have you guys with us. Um, you know, we're going to talk mostly about soap making today. That's kind of like the first thing. I think I'm going to have you guys on again because you guys do all kinds of cool stuff. We can do a show on making sauerkraut or, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you guys do. But you guys do make soap. And, I mean, my first question for you, and I think a lot of people ask this when you talk, start talking about making soap, is why make soap? Why not just go to the store and buy Dial? Mostly because it is a synthetic. Most soaps at the store aren't soap. A synthetic detergent with synthetic dyes and fragrances in it. And like my children, we have a couple with eczema, and they cannot use the detergents. There are some real soaps at the store, but they would also have their glycerin and other lovely things taken out of it or synthetic things added to it. So we mainly use it for the skin quality. Gotcha. And, uh, I mean, is it is it complicated? Is it hard to make soap? I mean, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, if, if somebody wants to get started doing it, what do you got to do? If you can bake a cake, you can make soap. The only thing that's hard about it is lye is very caustic. So you have to be careful with how you treat it. But other than that, it's a very easy process. So 
what do we do? I mean, I, we decide we want to make some soap, and uh, what, what do we got to get together? What, how, you know, because I mean, you just mentioned lye. A lot of people are concerned about lye. What is lye? How do we make it? And isn't that stuff bad for us? It is caustic. It's the method of making it. We buy ours, but how you make it is you basically need a box with full of ashes, hardwood ashes, and you let the the good water, rainwater, purified water, run through it. You have another thing that catches the water that comes off of it. When it quits, when it starts coming out clear, the lye and the ashes are spent. Then you have your lye in your bucket. To test it, you'd have to drop a fist-sized potato or a raw egg in, and if a little bit floats to the top, just above, a quarter-sized piece floats above the lye, then it's ready. If it's not, you need to add more ashes to your bucket and pour that water back through. Okay, but it is da- it's, it's dangerous. I, that is maybe a new way to say it or, or whatever, but then we're going to make soap out of this. So how, how come if i got to lie on my soap, it's not going to be dangerous for me once it's in my soap? It's a chemical process. <clears throat> once the uh, lye combines with the fats, uh, you have a chemical reaction, and it's no longer lie anymore. It's a, it's a new chemical. So if that's what's keeping people from doing this, they shouldn't worry about it. You have to be careful with it when you're working with it, but you have to be careful with a lot of things when we're working with them. It's no more, I, I don't think it's any more dangerous than uh, a lot of the cleaning chemicals we use today. Um, there are some precautions you want to take. You want to uh, wear rubber gloves and uh, have some glasses on. Uh, where it's really dangerous is when you're at you want to wear an apron and uh, you want to have a you want to have something to uh, counteract it in case you do get come in contact with it on your skin. So we we always keep vinegar handy. Uh, vinegar will neutralize the lye. So the basic acid base come together neutralize each other thing. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so we we got the kind of the lye thing out of the way. So. You know, kind of next up from there is let's say I wanted to start making soap. What do I have to do? What do I have to get together and kind of take me through? I think you mentioned there were several processes, but maybe the simplest or easiest process for a new person, how do they make soap just from beginning to end? Um, the easiest would be the cold process method, which you would take your, you would need lye, um, water. You would want to use rainwater or distilled, um, any kind of fat you want. Bacon fat, lard, shea butter, olive oil, anything. Um, you have those things. You never want to use aluminum because it will react with lye. And I <laughs> had it explode all over my back step because I didn't realize a pan was aluminum. And um, so you want stainless steel, glass, or wood. And you mix your lye into your water. You have to do measurements because if you have the balance out, you'll end up with a lot of soda ash on top or soap that just doesn't turn out. You mix your lye into your water, and it will get to about 180 to 200 degrees. And then while that's cooling down, you want it to cool down to 70 to 90 degrees. Okay, so that it gets hot because you're heating it, or it gets hot because of the, the reaction? reaction with the water. Okay. And you never want to pour the, you never want to pour the water in, into the lye. No, you do the lye into the water. Okay. Alphabetical order. Okay, easy to remember. I always get them confused. <laughs> and where do we go from there? <laughs> then, while that's cooling down to 70 to 90 degrees, you take the oil mixture that you want, or if you only want one kind of oil, whatever fat you want, you heat it up to 70 to 90 degrees. And when they're both within 10 degrees of each other in that window, you mix them together, and you just stir it. And then, after you've stirred it for a while, it will start to trace, which... Like when you make pudding and you pull the spoon, it'll leave a trail. That's what tracing is in soap. And once it gets to that method, you can add in whatever you want. You can add sand, coffee, herbs, essential oils, fragrance oils, whatever you want. So then we've got soap has basically been made. We've got our fragrances in it. How do I get it from tracing to that little block thing that I'm going to use? After you add in whatever additives you choose... Then you can pour it into molds, and then you want to cover it with a plastic, like a trash bag or something, and then put a towel over it. Otherwise, you'll get soda ash, which isn't bad. It's just not very pretty. Okay. And then it's still caustic for about three days, so you don't want to mess with it without gloves on until after that. 
And then you want it to cure for a month because the harder, the drier your soap is, the longer it'll last. So the soap is dangerous to be used for about three days at least. Yeah. So that's a minimum waiting period. But I didn't know that. I would burn myself up. I've actually never made soap before. That's why I have you all come down here to, to explain how to do this. The chemical reaction is called saponication. And it starts when your soap starts to trace. And it's not finished until it's sat for a couple of days. It's real important to keep your soap out of reach of any uh, children or animals that may get into it. Because for that first three days, it can the lye can, can burn your skin. It can, it can cause a lot of damage. And it can even do permanent nerve damage. So <clears throat> it's something that you want to make sure that when you make the soap that there's you know, not children running around that might bump you and cause you to spill it or or just, you know, have a have a clean work area and have a safe place to store it for the first three days. You guys must like rope off an area with, with six kiddos running around when you're doing this. Or do you send them they, off like camp grandmas on soap making day, at least the youngest ones or they're out the door or they're in the bedroom gotcha. doing something so that we can and you, you said that's the easiest process. So there's there's multiple processes for doing this, and if, if so, why wouldn't I just do the easiest one? Well, it just depends. Like if you do the heat process, which is essentially the same thing, except you bring you cook them both. You bring them. I'm not sure if you bring them up to a boil or not, but you heat them, and it immediately makes the lye no longer caustic once it traces. But there's not much benefit in doing that except for that reason. So because I have an energy input, so I've got to use more energy to get right. there, and I have to cook, basically, instead of just letting nature do the work, so to speak. But all I do is accelerate the uh, the process with the lye. I'm still going to have to age the soap, though. Yeah, because it so has to dry. Little, there's very yeah. little advantage to doing that, other than if my dog eats the bar of soap, it probably won't kill him. Yeah. There is there is um, easier ways to make soap uh as far as the melt and pour process, which is not really technically making soap. Uh, what you're doing is you're melting down soap, pouring it into a form, and uh, you can add your own essential oils or colors and stuff like that. And that's a good way for somebody to start. If they if they just want to be crafty. And if I want lemon verbena, I can just buy a good natural soap, melt it, and infuse that is what you're saying? Uh-huh. Yes, and there's uh, you can also buy per, uh, pure glycerin and uh, and melt. Right, well, we edit, edit we're getting a great out. conflict of interest here. We're letting Emily sort this out. She, I'll let her talk about it. Out. Uh, glycerin soap. That all homemade or lye soaps are glycerin soaps. They have their glycerin still in them. But what is actually called a glycerin soap? If you went to the store, basically it is soap that has gone through an alcohol and sugar process. I'm not sure how it's done. But it gets named that because it's clear and it looks different. So where does this glycerin come from? You told me to put lye in there. You told me to put bacon fat in there. Where's the glycerin? (laughs) It's in the makeup of the oils. And then during the saponification, the oils and the lye chemically become one. And the glycerin is a byproduct. It doesn't actually separate out. It's still part of it. But it's no longer as chemically part of it. Gotcha. And the value of the glycerin, Jack, is that glycerin, what was the name of it? It's a... Humanoglin, I think. I can't say it right. (laughs) Yeah, anyways, we don't know. Some fancy word we don't know how to pronounce. But basically, it will actually pull moisture from the air. Uh, Glycerin attracts moisture. So if you just set glycerin out, it's going to draw moisture from the air. If you were to put that glycerin on your tongue, it would it would blister it because it's going to draw the it's going to draw the moisture out of your your body. So, uh, but once it has what is it twenty percent water, it will soak up that much itself. Yeah, it will soak up twenty percent, and and then actually it will hold that moisture on your skin. So that's why so it, it moisturizes. Pulling it out, holding it in. Exactly. Gotcha. If it has its max capacity of water. It doesn't need any more, or it won't take any more. So uh, is that all of the processes that home soap makers use? I mean, you obviously no. you like the cold method. Is that what you do personally? That's what I learned, and I have tried. Um, I saw how a couple had taken their hot lye. It was still completely hot. They just made it, 
and their oils, and they poured their lye into their oils to melt them and stirred it down. And I'm thinking that they must have used animal fats to do that because it traced right away. It looked great. But whenever I've done it, it hasn't turned out as well. Huh. And that's another process altogether. Though. Right. And I don't know what it's called. The type of soap we uh, make, it would be considered a, a cast. No, Castile is olive oil soaps. Okay. Well. <clears throat> we just have vegetable based. Different. The different types of oils all have different benefits. Uh, we use coconut oil, olive oil, and safflower oil. And uh, one benefit to coconut oil is it it helps the soap to lather really nice. And that's you know one thing that some people uh, some soaps don't lather real well. Yeah, I've had homemade soaps that they they do a great job cleaning, but they don't get you that frothy. You know, lather. A lot of people think that it's the lather that gets you clean, but your soap doesn't have to lather to get you clean. It still works just as well. Okay. And you use these other oils? What do you, you said olive oil, coconut oil? And safflower oil. Safflower oil. We like the texture that the safflower adds, and the olive oil is very um, moisturizing. Gotcha. gotcha. So, soap making is a lot like cooking. Uh, you have your, your secret recipe. And you, just from trial and, and error, you decide what works best for you. And so our soap, uh, we found with that combination of oils, we like the result. And so that's what we use. Um, <clears throat> you can still, I mean, one of the cheapest ways to make soap, you can go to your local butcher shop and you can buy fat for cheap, 10 cents a pound or so. And you can render that fat and uh and use that and make lye soap it's a it's a more of a harsh bar but um you know you if you're talking about being cheap and affordable you can make some really cheap soap and it's nice and it's got the glycerin in it it hasn't been extracted like the stuff that you buy from the store yeah, let's talk about the stuff you buy from the store for a minute because you mentioned some of your kids that just can't even use it. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's, it's chemically processed and all. I mean, did you, like I know you've been making soap, Emily, since you were a little girl, right? So yeah, thir- Patrick, you you probably did. So did you have you noticed a difference since you started not using Dial or whatever anymore? Oh yeah, you know I used to you know Irish Spring used to be the soap of my choice. You know I liked the way it smelled and stuff, and but. Uh, <clears throat> I've kind of, it's kind of funny, I I prefer, I prefer not even using soap if we don't have our homemade soap. Um, I just like the way it feels, I like the way it cleans, uh, I like the way it, it leaves your skin feeling and stuff. Uh, if I go to a hotel or somewhere, we'll, we'll take our own soap with us and we've had, we've had lots of customers that, that's the thing is, when we have customers, we have repeat customers, they continue to buy our soap. Because they like it, you know. We have a man that buys it to brush his teeth. He brushes his teeth with your soap. <laughs> well, so if you're if you're using soap to wash your kid's mouth out, have a potty mouth, right? This is stuff you use. Apparently, tastes pretty good. Um, you brought me some. It was great. I didn't eat it or brush my teeth with it, but it sure smelled good. I mean, what are some of your favorite like scents and stuff like that to to do up? I really like tea tree uh, tea tree oil. In our soap, we use a hundred percent pure essential oils. Something interesting about essential oils is a lot of people use them for for different medical conditions and stuff. Essential oils can actually penetrate the the blood-brain barrier, and uh, the smell, it can just enter in, and it it does... Like peppermint wakes you up. Yeah, like peppermint wakes you up, makes you feel refreshed. Uh, Lavender, we we have a lavender soap, you know, great right before you go to bed. And uh, calm you down. Calm you down. Great and for babies. You ever do hops? Because hops are very, very calming. <laughs> I have you know seen what? hops in soap, but we have not. If no, we, I'd like to try it. If we ever do some hops, we're going to name it the Jack Spearco Bar. The Jack Spearco Bar hops. <laughs> you a little barley and yeast in there. I mean, but I mean, a lot of people, that's when they think hops, they think beer right away, but it actually is a very uh, medicinal herb. Very. And, uh, you know, they used to make these little satchels full of hops and some other herbs that were designed as sleep aids. And that was before we had, you know, nightfall and, you know, all these chemicals and everything that people are taking today. Um, so you guys mentioned you have customers. So you guys, this is a business for you. Yeah. We, we've had a couple. 
we sell for, at simplycleansing.com. And uh, we've had that for two or three years. Seems like one of that, but everything's <laughs> <laughs> longer when it's online. Yeah, it's faster to get going, but it just seems like it lasts forever. You um, know, back to the essential oils, Jack. Uh, you know, that's the thing. When you buy soap from the store, you know, a lot of times you're you're buying artificial dyes and, and scents and stuff, and a lot of that stuff uh, causes irritations to your skin. I had a guy at work who had just bad psoriasis, and he had been to the doctors. He's tried the creams, and the he's tried changing his diet, and just lots of different things. And so I, you know, back to the tea tree soap. Tea tree essential oil has many uh, beneficial properties to it. Tea tree is a natural antibacterial, antifungal. Um, there's a lot of on our on our website, on our blog. We cover uh, some of the benefits to each essential oil that we use in our soap. And so I gave uh, this guy at work some of that tea tree soap, and he came back a week later. He was so excited because, you know, all the things he had tried to clear up his eczema, um, the soap worked. And it didn't completely get rid of his eczema, but it cleared it up enough that he was he was really excited about it. Um, and... You know, results vary from person to person, but uh, I've heard numerous accounts of people that have problems with eczema or other skin conditions where they switch to homemade soap with pure essential oils. And uh, we've had people that say they can't even use store-bought soap, and they're afraid to try ours. And they try it, and they find out that it works great for them. So, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with some skin ailments or other problems if i know people some people are really sensitive to perfumes give this stuff this, a shot. yeah it's worth making so you know i mean the other thing is the skin is the largest organ on the body right and when we put something on our skin it goes through our skin and into our body and into our bloodstream and i mean i'm not a real expert on store-bought soaps or anything but i imagine there's some stuff in there really we prefer not to have going through our bloodstreams and Crossing the skin barrier and, and all of that stuff. Which is why homemade soaps work. Because, like the man that he was talking about, used store-bought soap. There's no glycerin. There's nothing to moisturize the skin except for chemicals. So that's why they make money selling the lotions and the creams and the... Oh, so this is like Monsanto for your skin. Yeah. Right. So first I'm going to make the, 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 the thing that kills the weeds, right? And then I'm going to sell you seed that you can spray the weed killer on. And then I'm going to have to sell you another chemical to kill. So we'll make you buy the soap that drives your skin and then sell you lotion. It's probably in every industry. Oh, it, it, gets, it, gets better. <laughs> it gets better than that, Jack. They give you enough information that, you know, aloe. Everybody knows aloe is good for you. You know, it's good for your skin. Aloe can actually carry stuff into your skin. Aloe penetrates through your skin layers. Sure. But it can also carry stuff with it. So if it's penetrating and bringing aloe in, that's fine. But if it's chem chemically or it's just helping, you know, polyvinyl, tricyclic, whatever, you know, <laughs> 19 syllabolic word along with it through there, I never knew that. Exactly, it can be, a, it can carry that stuff right into your skin, where your skin is made to protect your your body from stuff like that. But aloe can actually carry stuff in past your protection. So it brings it along with it. So is aloe bad, or just aloe should be combined with things you don't want going through your skin? Exactly. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so you guys have your site. Your site, again, is what, Simply Cleansing? Yeah, simplycleansing.com. And you guys have, like, point-click buy, all different kinds and stuff yeah. like that? or PayPal. PayPal. Cool, yeah, well, PayPal's got to be PayPal. Everybody uses PayPal. <laughs> if you don't... Don't tell me, people. Don't write me and tell me PayPal's anti-gun. They're not any more anti-gun any, than they are anti-American uh, Indian artifacts. Eh. <laughs> you can't buy. You cannot buy American Indian artifacts with PayPal either. I guarantee you, they're not anti-Indian. You can't buy cigarettes, right? And I guarantee you, they're not anti-cigarette. There's just certain things they don't let people use their service to buy because it's interstate commerce. That's the real reason for that. Yeah, we've had people buy our soap. They just send us a check, and we mail them the soap. So, I mean, you know, we... So, yeah. I'm sure you take silver. Yeah, I'll take silver. <laughs> Gold. We uh, have a contact guns. email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, eggs. Yeah. <laughs> you sure. got your own eggs. <laughs> yeah. You got chickens. So, um, you know, I, so I guess you guys, you're doing this, like, for your own family. 
But you're also doing this as a business. So you guys, like I mentioned earlier, you guys got six kids. And I'm sure that there's like, you know, so Emily, you're a stay-at-home mom? or and, and So this is a way for you to, to make some money for the household. And I, is, is that been helpful with raising such a large family? It is because they see the process of making the soap and selling it. They love packaging the soap. And it's, you know, for homeschool. We homeschool all of them. And it's just all the steps. We eventually would like it to be our business so that he can come home and we can work together. And I think that the children seeing that process is a big deal. Yeah, folks, because I should have probably said this when I introduced Patrick, but, you know, when your lights go out and it's still storming and raining and, you know, lightning's flashing through the sky and you want your power to come back on, Patrick's one of those guys that travels all over the place and turns your lights back on for you. So, Patrick, thank you for keeping our lights on. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess it, it probably does get tough with him gone so much. Cause I know you got to go where the work is. You you don't work on stuff day to day to like maybe you do some maintenance work, but mostly you're called out for problems, right? With your line of work. Yeah, we uh, we spend a lot of time just day to day doing maintenance stuff. But we uh, here beginning of the year we came down here uh, right right up your neck of the woods down by Little Rock and uh, helped restore power there and. And uh, I didn't get to go on this last storm, but we had some guys go out to the East Coast, and and uh, we just travel wherever we need to, to go to get people's lights on. So your goal is to actually turn this into a full-time business, and and then you do some stuff as well. You're my not my my knife maker. You're the guy that made the mammoth tusk knife. That's correct. So how'd you get into the knife making thing? Well, I'd always been uh, <clears throat> knife making something that's always been fascinating to me, and and it all started actually. Uh, wanting to learn how to sharpen my own knife, you know, uh, being like younger as a kid, I wanted a sharp knife and never had a sharp knife and always wanted to learn and, and didn't learn until I was in my twenties and finally learned how to, to sharpen a knife. And along with that, I learned, uh, took some classes and learned how to make knives and, and, uh, I've turned it into a business. And your site for that is? mtknives.blogspot.com Cool. you got to get a real domain name, though. Yeah, I know. I'm working <laughs> on that. Yeah. But There's actually another mtknives.com. Oh, so somebody has your domain so, name. Yeah, somebody has my do- domain name. So <laughs> that's why I, I went with that the way I did. Okay. But so you guys are kind of doing this whole entrepreneur thing, but Dad still works full-time job, and you're trying to make this – Transition is is it you, know, you get some traction with that? I mean, there's a lot of people out there doing exactly what you're doing right now in this audience. There's a ton of people that have that desire to build something at home, and I mean, has it been rewarding so far? It has. We have not pushed it as much as we'd like to, mainly because we're trying to figure out where we want to stand in it. Um, what's What's promising about it is is we know that people like our product because we have repeat customers. We've had people that have bought soap from us from day one and, and are still buying soap from us. Um, but, you know, needless to say, we're just, we're just a little busy. Uh, we, we have, we have 10 acres and not, you know, Hobby farm. I've, I've learned a lot listening to you, Jack, about uh, culture and, and growing a gardening. And you really kind of gave me a kick in the pants and, I started doing more gardening, and we we have our own cows and chickens, and and uh, so we got a lot of irons in the fire right now, and we're just basically trying to get more uh, to where we can provide for our needs, and and uh, and then we'll we'll push the soap making sure. more when we have more time. More time, yeah, because uh, you guys are basically you're doing the homestead thing. You know, you're traveling, but when you're home, you've got you know, you see you got chickens and how many acres you have? Uh, just just under ten acres, and uh, you know, with six kids right now, all of our children, uh, our oldest is twelve, and we got uh, was it nine months old now? <laughs> our youngest is nine months old, so you know, really, we're just kind of waiting. Uh, our twelve year old is a lot of help. They're starting. You're doing the old thing, right? Where you like grow your own crew for the farm. Yeah. Right? You know, you yeah. bring them up, you feed them, you go, okay, 
One day you go, okay, now you got to go out there and you got to you got to help out even more than you have been. The Amish have a really neat saying about that. We live by a bunch of Amish, and they say from one to seven they're costing you. Yeah. From seven to fourteen, they're earning their keep, and from fourteen on, they're helping provide for the family. Gotcha, gotcha. And you know, Jack, uh, talking about being uh, the survival podcast and, and just building being prepared for tomorrow uh we want our children to learn how to learn a trade learn learn uh learn business and then decide what they enjoy doing you know you found what you enjoy to do and but until they find what they enjoy doing we're going to help them have things to do to determine to determine <laughs> you see what you get yeah. bored I'll get you to never say you're bored yeah well, exactly you know there's there's only one real good way to find out what you like do a whole bunch of do stuff. a whole bunch of stuff and you when you find what you like go with it so you know we want our children to to have a good start and to uh, have a good work work ethic and and not work at Walmart because they have to. Yeah, if you like Walmart and you really want to work there, God bless you. But I would say 99% of the people working there are there because they have to be there. But I think in any industry, there's one percent of people that even like it's like, what's your job? Well, I you know I wash pigs for a living, and you're like, man, how do you? Well, I love it. Right? You know, there's always that one guy, but <laughs> most people at Walmart don't want to be there. And I think it's it's a great path forward that you got there. And I, I was just listening. We have some company that's just moved a plant here, a bus manufacturing plant, to Arkansas. And it's like a big win, except they have like 3,000 people to hire. Mm. And in the, even in this economy, there's certain skill sets in there. They can't find the people to do the job because everybody's going to college now and getting a degree in basket weaving or cat you know, manicuring or, or whatever, and, or these general studies degrees or a communications degree, which means you, I don't really know what a communications degree does for you. I know this. In, in, in my 20 years of business, I never hired anybody with a communications degree, so I do know that. And I'm not putting college down real heavy enough. I'm just saying that if we don't, college is fine, but people should come out and know how to do stuff. At the same time, and it sounds like you're teaching your kids to do stuff. We, we actually have a hundred tulip bulbs. Uh, maybe we'll put them to work <laughs> when, we're, yeah. when we're done here. They would love that. Yeah. Someone loves gardening. And you know, the thing is, is uh, they uh, they enjoy to learn. You know, and and when you enjoy to learn, it's not. I work. mean, it's not work. I went through school just dreading it. You know, uh, I come from. From a public school background, and my wife, she she came from a homeschool background, and so we kind of got both of the, we got we both got to experience you know one extreme to the other, and you know with our children, that's what I love about the survival podcast is, I've learned so much from your show because you bring people on the air that are knowledgeable about different stuff. There's a lot of your podcasts I haven't listened to. But I find the ones that I'm interested in, and I, and I learn something every day. And that's what I want our children to do is to uh, decide what they're interested in. Like for me, it was with you know learning how to sharpen a knife. I went out there and and uh, found the information. The internet's the greatest thing we got. I mean, I, I feel sorry for them. People who had to learn the whole Dewey Decimal system and try to find a book. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Then didn't even have no pictures in it and no video for sure. You know, now we just get online, we type in what we're looking for, and if we if we can't read, we just go to YouTube. Absolutely, you know, it, it's hard to find stuff if you can't read, but and then you become a video. I don't know if you yeah. know that. Yeah. I don't know if you got to know it's an idiot. Video. But to me, I mean. I, my background is I went to a very good private Catholic school until I managed to get thrown out, and then I went to a public <laughs> school. Um, so I've never really worked with homeschooling. But as a homeschooler, I have to imagine the Internet is the greatest thing that's ever happened because when a child has an interest in something, there's tons of information available to feed that interest. Because what I found with kids is if you can feed their interest, you can't shut them off. It's impossible once you're feeding that interest. Mm -hmm. And, like, we had one lady write in that her daughter heard about the tomato home hornworm on the show, right? And she had a homeschool report that was due, and she could do anything she wanted. And, like, 20 minutes later, she came back with, 
Here's what the hornworm is. Here's what it turns into. Here's what it looks like. Here's the parasitic wasp that will help control it. And she had like, you know, a complete report done in 15 minutes. And now all she had to do was write it all up and learn the writing side of things. But that information, even if it's in a library, it's in seven different books. And now that's just available. So for you at home, Emily, this has got to be a great tool. It is. But some of my children, like our our oldest Paris, she absolutely loves to do the Internet part. Joelle, she wants the book. She sure. wants to hold that. And so it, it totally depends on the child. Yeah, I had to punish her the other day. I told her she had to go a whole day without reading a book. It about killed her. <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, no. no! <laughs> yeah, it's weird how some kids are like so addicted. That my son, 22 years old, does not have a Facebook page. And mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, get a Facebook page. So at least when we throw pictures up there, you can see what we're doing up there. He's like, no, nah, I don't want one. You know, and I just some people just, you know, and I'm like, all your friends have one, don't they? Yeah. I'm like, I can't, I'm the only father on the planet right now telling his son, go get a Facebook page. Yeah. So, I mean, with homeschool, let's chat about that a bit, because there's a ton of homeschool people in our audience. Um, I know that there's a tremendous advantage to not having kids in public school, but what are, like, not the downside, but what are some of the struggles? It's got to be, like, one more thing you have to do as a mom. Um, sort of. Sort of? (laughs) Because you have something to do, so (laughs) The one more thing to do is to clean the toilet, you know? But, like, we do it very simply. We have a math curriculum spelling curriculum, they write a report three times a week on whatever they want, and they read a history, chapter book, or textbook a week. And that's it. We want life. And so they, like Joelle's constantly studying about herbs and how to garden with them, how to treat sicknesses with them, just different, they, they want to learn and they're not going to stop. You, you, you know, you can't stop them from doing it. I, I don't know if you heard any of the work that I did on unschooling and the whole concept of free learning, and I always get the objection, but if they can study whatever they want, they're going to not study things that are important. How do you respond to that? It's not true. We do. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably good enough, right? It's yeah. just not true, but go, go ahead. Well, we just do the spelling and the math, just mainly to say we covered it, and actually we use Matthew C., and they have totally fallen in love with it. They actually like math than they didn't used to. So it's something they want to do now. And what is that called? Matthew C. Okay, how's that work? It's it's. I'll go. Just <clears throat> you know, math was my strong point when I was in school. You know, I mean, what I love about math is there's a right answer. You know, I mean, with yeah. with it's kind of like English or whatever. You know, it's like well, this applies when this and that applies when that. It's like, you know, just give me some numbers, I'll figure it out and I'll give you the right answer. <clears throat> but you know. Then the practical aspect, Matthew C. is excellent about being practical. One example, a guy says, he says, I forget what reward he's going to give out to the first kid who can tell him how many ceiling tiles were on the ceiling. Ah. Well, you know, you got kids out there getting their fingers and toes out, one, two, and you had one smart kid in there. One, two, three, four, five. Five across, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six across, six times five is 30. 30. Boom. Just told you how you know that kid won the won the prize, you know. And that's uh, how he teaches it, so that kids think that way. Gotcha. You know, I'm a I'm a lineman. I work with wire. You know, one of the things we had to figure out is, do we got enough wire here to get done what we need to get done? I've got a reel here standing three foot off the ground with ten lap ten rounds of wire on it. Okay. Well, how much wire is that? Well, my diameter is three three foot times that by pi. Let's just call it 10 foot, 3.14 times 3, you know, whatever, round it to 10. I've got 10 wraps. That's 100 feet of wire. Take off a little bit. Let's call it 90. Okay. Well, is 90 is 90 feet of wire going to be long enough? So what am I going to do? I'm going to step it off. Okay. I got 30 paces at 3 foot a step. You know, I need 90 feet of wire. You know, I mean, all that stuff's practical. It's stuff that you use every day. It absolutely, it absolutely is, and it's, it's it, sometimes it's even everything be the same. If you put something means to it, uh, something to it. So, like I had accounting and I had um, calculus when I was in my last year of high school, and I was really doing poorly in my calculus class. And my accounting teacher kind of talked to you know, and the the, the, the accounting teacher, I don't, I don't understand why he's having any problems with this. You can give this guy any 
you know, financial formula, and it's like that. So the during a study hall where the same teacher was there, he called me up. He said, bring me one of these calculus problems you're having a hard time with. And he put a dollar sign in front of a couple of the numbers. He said, do it now. Mm. And it was like switched on immediately. And it's like, well, why were you able to do it? I guess, like, I, guess I care. But if it's money, <laughs> I care. If it's some random number, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care. You know? Yeah, I made a mistake. I, I, I actually went to college. I started to go to college for accounting, and, and I learned real quick that I liked math, and I hated accounting. <laughs> so I like money. Yeah. <laughs> I like money, the too. The problem with accounting as a career is it's somebody else's money. Yeah, if it was my money, if it was my money, I'd have it figured out down to the dime. So the penny to make it work for you, I have to put a dollar sign in front of it and then write the word Patrick and put an arrow going towards you. That's right. There you go. <laughs> and I think, like, as weird as that is, it would work for some people. And you know your kids better than anybody else. And if you're homeschooling, you can figure out what works for them, and you can, like you talked about using this guy's program, you can take ten different programs and keep throwing it at them until you find one that sticks, and you're not stuck in this, you know, every child left behind uh, thing is what I call uh-huh, it, right? Yeah. That's what it's become. It's every every child left behind, because schools are doing this whole thing where everybody has to succeed, but there's a way you do that, and that and that is the same way that you make sure everybody succeeds in military when you're running in formation. You take the slowest guy and you put him in the front left corner, and he sets the speed for the formation, and then no one fails. Now, if you're just trying to make sure everybody runs two miles a day, that's fine, and that's why the military does that. But the military also has special operations and SEALs and airborne, and you know, and, and, and it you know, kind of creates that stratification. Where in school, we're taking the slowest kid, sticking him in the, the front left corner, and we're holding the whole pack back. I think it's happened more in college now than it is in, in elementary school, honestly. But you hit the nail on the head, you know, when you're talking about that mathematic equation. You have to care. Absolutely. You, you have to find out, you have to find what that child cares about, and then something that they don't care about, you got to give them a reason to care. Like, I'm lousy at spelling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and the thing is, is I never cared. But now I'm old enough and I get out in the real world and you look like an idiot when you spell something wrong that you shouldn't spell wrong. Now I care. If I had a chance to go back now and learn some more spelling and you know and stuff, I would I'd 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 have to say I'd probably try harder. I'd try harder. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the key is finding what the children care about and then making them care about what they need to care about, what's truly important. How do we tie those two together? Like, if a kid does, says he doesn't really care about learning how to write, well, you've got a perfect solution already. You have to write three reports you, a week you want on anything that you want. I was a terrible typist until I discovered the Internet. Now I can mm-hmm. type about 80 words a minute because now I care, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of that to be said for what you guys are doing. But again, you know, kind of you sidestep me on it. What are some of the challenges <laughs> there for, for you? Um, or is, is it just maybe because you grew up that way, it's easy? You don't know it, you know. Figuring each child I, out. Yeah, figuring out each child. Like, um, our nine-year-old did not like math, but she could not peel a book out of her hands. Our five-year-old is not reading yet, but she can do simple algebra. She can do multiplication. She can do things. And it's just not getting, not deciding to be in control of what they need to know right now. Yeah. And being okay with her being way ahead in math. And I don't know, I don't think that she's behind in reading, but, you know, just choosing, letting them be where they're at. Joelle taught herself how to read. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> am I going to be able to teach the rest how to read? I don't know how she learned. Yeah. And it's fine. You get her to teach them. You know, yeah, somebody, exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the comment that was made? Uh, somebody made a comment about worried that their their homeschooled children weren't going to be able to fully contribute to society or something like that. And I'm like... What's society? Well, <laughs> the question is, is is that parent contributing? You know, and, yeah. and, and what is that important? If I like sharpening knives, then, and that's, that's what I'm interested in, I'm going to spend time and we'll learn that. You may think that is a worthless skill. Yeah. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there that still... That that's a, still a skill that is needed. Well, there's a guy down at the farmers market here. He uses kind of a machine for it, but he charges five bucks a knife, and he's got a line every weekend. Exactly. So don't tell me it's not a marketable skill because. And I saw, you know, it's five bucks a knife. 
So this lady is there ahead of me, and uh, I just wanted to see if he was any good at it. So I gave him one of my little pocket knives, a little cold steel almond. And he did a really good job of it. He said, like, well, i got to finish this up. And it was just one knife he was working on. And uh, But then when he put it back in, she had brought him a whole set of kitchen cutlery. <laughs> so she had to have about, I'd say she had about 15 knives in there at five bucks a pop. Well, that guy just sat down there in 30 minutes and made more than most people make in a day. So don't tell me the skill doesn't have value. I think there's a lot of that, like we've got this backwards view of society where people think the, all these things that people want to naturally learn don't apply anymore. Well, so many people have done that. Now there's a shortage of people that know how to do it. Um, it would have been real hard for you to have a business sharpening knives, making knives, maybe sharpening knives when I was a kid in 1970s, 1980s in rural Pennsylvania. Because everybody could go into the shop, pull out a whetstone, and just you know do up their knife. You do a better job. I've seen you. We're gonna do a video with you later. But the guy sitting there going, "Hey, my knife shaves the hair off my arm. I don't need you to go away. I'm going to go to deer, right?" So, but today there's not a surplus of people that know how to do that anymore. And they don't want to take the time. Exactly, they don't want to take the time, or they don't have the time. Well, you know, one of the biggest setbacks I think that we have is. I hear so many people say, oh, I can never do that. I can never do that. You know, there isn't a thing out there that I'm not willing to try to sure. learn. You know, I had a friend. It's kind of funny because his dishwasher broke. And so I troubleshot it. You know, troubleshooting is part of my job. It's, it's pretty simple. You start, uh, you know, the gold kiss Keep it simple, stupid, you know. So first you just want to make sure you got voltage, you know. He had voltage, and I traced it down, and it turned out it was just a switch. So I replaced the switch. I fixed his dishwasher. Well, I just, like, stepped up three notch in his eyes. So I get a call from him uh, to fix something else, and I fixed it. I don't remember what it was. So then about two months later, I get a call, and this is a chiropractor. And he says, hey, I need your help. He says, my x-ray machine's broken down. Now you fix the x-ray machine. <laughs> I'm like, an x-ray machine? I said, I know absolutely nothing about an x-ray machine. Yeah. But you know what? I went there, and I troubleshot it, and it was a fuse. I fixed it. Sure. It was simple. You yeah. know? But most people would never even have tried. Most people would say, I don't know anything about it. I'm not going to mess with it. You need to call somebody else. Sure. Sure. I mean, I'm like this. I'll try anything as long as it can't kill me. You do that <laughs> stuff for a living, so you mess with electronics, it's fine. I don't mess with live electrical wires or potentially live electrical wires at all because I don't want to die, and I don't have the training for it. But other than that, I'll try anything. I was just thinking when you were saying all this, like back when my grandfather was a young man, uh, and all, you know, he was an immigrant from Ukraine. There were Irish immigrants. All there's a whole immigrant community in rural PA. Most of them were coal miners. And remodeling a house was putting up new paneling. And there were none of those guys couldn't do with that without a hammer and paneling and some paneling nails. And you go and buy some of those old houses today, and you go, I'm gonna take the paneling down and get to the wall, right? You pull the paneling down. There's a different color paneling. Okay, so you pull that down, and there's like two and a half inches. Of, of quarter inch paneling, and it was just like every time mom wanted a new wall, dad just, and they didn't take the old stuff down, they just threw it up on top. But that was the attitude, like whatever it is, we're just going to do it. I do got one more on the homeschooling, though. Uh, Dorothy came in with this because everybody always asks this. What about the aspect people say this whole, they don't get enough socialization, they don't meet enough people, they don't know what it's like in the real world. That's, that's the, like this, the silver, silver arrow out of the quiver objection for people. We don't really want the public socialized in public school but if we go to a store like we went into a uh, leather store in Springfield and we had people coming up to us and talking to us and they said you're homeschooled aren't you and my question is always why do you think that and he said because your kids are talking to me yeah and they don't and they're more behaved generally (laughs) (laughs) well that's a relative term in the the stratified levels there they're well well let's let's think about this if I'm in a classroom full all day long of people my age that they probably don't know a whole lot more than I do about anything. Anything. How much am I going to learn? How much socialization? What am I going? What am I going to learn from a class full of kids of my peers? Correct. Now you take a child and you set them in an environment where they're around children of all diverse ages and stuff. They're going to learn, and they're going to learn 
they're going to learn not only not only do our children learn from the children that are older but they help teach the younger children and they learn how to teach yeah. they learn they learn other skills yeah Well, and my, my thing is that when we take kids and put them in a, a, a school situation and we say they're learning social skills for the real world, I, I say, no, we're not. That's not how social skills in the real world, world works. For a couple of months ago, Patrick, you drove down here, you met me, you brought me my knife, we hit it off, we had a couple of drinks, but then we, we burned some meat on the grill, we went out back and did some shooting, and we got along great. Now, if you'd gotten down here and I started picking on you and said, you know, Your feet were funny, or your head was on backwards, or whatever, and I started being a jerk to you. Well, you would have either stalked me in the mouth, or just chose to leave, and you would have got, and you would have left, and you would have, you would have said, "I'm not going to associate with this person." Well, we take kids, we put them into a school, we put them into that exact situation, tell them to deal with it, and say that is the real world. Well, that's it. Doesn't happen in the workplace. It doesn't happen in our lives. When we have that kind of conflict, we either resolve the conflict or we remove ourselves from it. And we put kids into this place where we're supposed to learn the real world, and we put that, that dynamic completely, totally backwards. They're I mean, stuck. that's how I've always uh, you know, responded to it. How are you learning the real world when some kid is either allowed to pick on another kid or has to be tolerating it? No, you're learning the real world, Jack. You show up at 7.30, 8 o'clock. You leave <laughs> at 4 o'clock. You eat your little meal that they tell you is good for you. You get recessed. You get recessed if you're good. Yeah. If you're not, we're going to punish you. And, you know, that's the real world. And your paycheck is your report card. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? I mean, and that's, and, and that's actually the, the, the most unrealistic portion of it because at least kids that work harder get a better paycheck. Where pretty much in an office environment, you get paid based on wherever you're, you know, you're at in, in the, uh, the pecking order based on your management level or whatever. I think if you have a business, you work harder, you make more money. But I think in a lot of, lot of regular jobs... And I think that's what school is designed to do. It's not designed to teach children to be the best they can be. And I know I've just hacked off every teacher out there. Go ahead and send me the emails. I can, I can deal with it. I get hundreds of emails every day that people are angry anyway. So go ahead and send them to me. But it's not designed to make children the best they can be. It's designed to make them fit into society like a cog into a machine so that I have a kid that can show up on time, sit in a cubicle, at his desk, do what he's told, and not question authority. And I bet you your kids don't question authority in the way that people see that as a negative, but I bet you they question authority as in why, how come, show me, prove to me. So I bet you when you tell them to go to bed, they pretty much go to bed. But I bet you when you tell them, like, this is how scientifically this thing works, they probably say, okay, show me. They want, Yeah, there's a hundred more questions. Instead, and the answer is not because I'm the teacher and I said so. Put A on the paper and go. Right. right? You have to actually fulfill that now. Right. So very, very cool. So, guys, I thought we were just going to talk about soap today. We're, we're all over, but this is great, you know. Um, it, how did you guys end up with your piece of land? I mean, if you had it for a long time, did you, like, decide you wanted to do this? or? Oh, lots of hard work. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a, you know, we just set our goals and, and we work every day to just get a little closer and a little closer and and you know we're not where we want to be but um <clears throat> you know that's what i like about your podcast it's it's you're preparing you're preparing for tomorrow and you know step by step you know and and being prepared uh there's going to be things that come up in life that's going to set you back but You know, when you're prepared for that, something that would be something that would be the end all end all for Joe Blow, when you're prepared, it's just a little stutter in your game plan and stuff. And so, uh, I you know I I started I started out and uh, we we rent it for first couple of years of our marriage and we finally got a break we bought a cheap place and i fixed it up thousand. <laughs> yeah we our first place paid thirteen thousand dollars for and and uh i fixed it up turned around sold it bought another place and fixed it up so you use those useless you know tradesman skills that, that no one makes any money with <laughs> to, like buy an inexpensive house and sell it to somebody for more money Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, and we, we were able to step it up each time. Yeah. Like our first house was 13000 We sold it for 
our second house was six thousand. We sold it for seventy something. Wow! So you just if you can start with a little and still have something in the end. But you guys stepped up the intelligent way. You didn't step up by getting a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar mortgage and hoping two years later some sucker would pay a hundred and seventy for your house so that you could turn around and buy it two hundred fifty thousand. And that's what people did, and they kept doing that. And instead of stepping up with equity, they stepped up with debt because uh-huh. they just qualified for more debt because they had paid on the old debt for a while. And then when this whole housing market crashed. I'm sure you're not thrilled about it because it hurts a lot of people, but I'm sure it doesn't really affect you guys. Not as much. No, nope, not really. It only affects you if you want to sell your house. Not yeah. the food bill. <laughs> ah, the food bill, definitely. <laughs> yeah, how do you guys deal with that? Let's kind of wrap up with that because we're, we're sitting here right about an hour now. Um, you got to feed six kids. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you do to kind of make that work out? Soap's cheap. Soap's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, we try to garden. We try to put up as much food as we can. We can, we ferment, we dehydrate. Um, we generally have a cow that's in milk. She's not at the moment. Um, we sell some of our milk sometimes to pay for the feed, so that kind of gives us free milk. Um, we buy in bulk. We have Amish stores that we buy 50 pounds of oats or wheat or whatever we want at a time. Um, basically, buying in bulk and trying to have as much as you can on your own property is the best way to do it. And I bet you do a lot of your own cooking, too. Yeah, we don't, uh, yeah. We don't buy, <laughs> yeah, we don't buy a lot of, I mean, and don't get me wrong, we, you know, we go out to eat, we'll buy pizza sometimes, or, you know, whatever, but <laughs> that's not the normal, you know, normally, you know, my wife, she makes, makes our own bread, and, and, uh, you know, makes, cooks our own food, and, and, uh, that's just the way we do it. You guys do do fermenting. So you have to try my cold, or like coleslaw. You have to try my sauerkraut here in a bit. I oh, yeah. love fermented foods. All right. Well, hey, you know, I appreciate you guys having this interview with me. Let's let's wrap this up because, folks, it's a Saturday, and uh, they drove down here on a Saturday to do this, and we're going to kind of hang out and grill some meat. Uh, but you guys are welcome back on the show anytime. You do not have to drive down here to be on the show. We'll do it on the <laughs> phone next time if it makes it easier for you. That said, you're welcome here anytime, both, both places. Be looking forward to the knife sharpening video. Yeah, we're going to do that here in just a minute, folks, and uh, you guys will be seeing that on YouTube. Uh, probably have the podcast up before the video, so it probably works out well. Uh, just remind people again of your two websites where they can go learn more about you and uh, maybe get a knife made or get some soap. If you go to simplycleansing.com, uh, we have a link to my knife website, or you can go to mtknives.blogspot.com. And there's a link for Simply Cleansing on that website also. Uh, we have a blog for our uh, for for uh, our soap making also, where we cover um, some of the benefits to essential oils and to homemade soap. Very, very cool. And, I'll, of course, I'll put links in the show notes like I do every day to all of your websites where people can uh get in touch with you. Definitely get some of the soap though, folks. I'm telling you, uh, the stuff Patrick brought me was just absolutely awesome. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Patrick and Emily Rorman, helping you figure out how to live that better life in times get tough. Or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Yeah.